The following podcast may contain offensive language. Hey y'all, come on with it. Sugar Ticky here. Welcome to the podcast. So glad you're joining me. This is the 14th episode of the Sugar Ticky podcast. If you're listening now, I thank you. If you've listened to other episodes, thank you, thank you. And if you've listened to all of them, like Gomer Pyle, I'll say thank you, thank you, thank you. Appreciate your being here. I really do. Okay, as many of you know, I am an eighth grade English teacher. Um, And one of the things I do as an eighth eighth grade English teacher is study eighth graders. And so here's what I've learned. I've learned that to live as an eighth grader is to see yourself in some way as inferior to almost all who look your way. Despite the bravado and average display by many eighth graders, they are, deep down inside, quiveringly unsure of themselves. I'm sure this is true for girls as well as for boys. The only difference, though, between them lies in their responses— I won't speak for girls except to say that, in my experience, they deal with their insecurity more quietly. Eighth-grade boys are quite different. They tend to nurse an angry fire. And why shouldn't they, when every day is a series of passing back and forth from one system of control to another and then another? You go from home to school to sports or church or wherever, and always there stands the man, a controlling authority wagging his finger, looking down on you. Do this. Do that. What are you doing? That's not right. What's wrong with you? And let's be clear. The man is not gender-specific. For an eighth-grade boy, the man may be, and at school often is, a woman. The man is that collection of adults, including your parents, who flippantly wield their power over you. Thus, there grows an increasing anger at the man. And that anger has to go somewhere. It's in him, and it's got to get out, to quote John Lee Hooker in Boogie Chillin'. And the anger often gets out by way of retaliation at the man. But this is tricky business, for the man possesses all the power. Therefore, you can't go full frontal assault at the man. You must go guerrilla warfare, and some variation of sneaking up on the man and plunging a thumbtack into his butt. If you're lucky, you get away before the man turns around. This will bring you a fleeting thrill, a foretaste of some future freedom. This has been true as long as there have been 8th grade boys. Half a century ago, I was an 8th grade boy. In my day, goot drawing was the preferred retaliation. In case you don't know, the goot was, in the parlance of those days, the male genitalia, anatomically speaking, and the rendering of it was more stylistic than graphic or accurate. It was much less about sex than it was about eye-popping scandal. I would put such a drawing here in the blog, but Miss Moore, my eighth-grade teacher, might burst from her grave to destroy me with all the fury of the man. 
So, I'll describe the goot in words. Picture a curvy outline of a mouse head in which the ears are rounded, sort of like Mickey Mouse's, and the snout is elongated horizontally from beneath the ears. Now turn this drawing upside down so that the ears hang pendulously like, well, balls, and the snout extends left or right from above them. That is how one draws a goot. With pencil, pen, or marker, the goot can be applied surreptitiously in one continuous stroke to walls, stalls, and other flat surfaces. A favored place was the wooden surface of a desk occupied by another student. This way, you could stick it to the man by shoving one of your classmates toward him. You'll recognize this as throwing someone under the bus. We were masters at this. Invariably, teachers eyes would fall upon a goot and go wide in horror. Who drew this? And invariably, the question would be met with a silent ripple of shrugs. Such was and is the eighth grade code of solidarity. The goot looms vividly in my memory, especially because of a classmate. Let's call him Sandy, a tow-headed boy whose smile could seem angelic. Sandy had not been especially notable academically or behaviorally. He wasn't among the verbose kids who made C's, D's, and F's in conduct. He seemed to go along peacefully, occasionally giggle, giggling at others' naughty jokes. But soon we would learn that beneath Sandy's placid veneer, there raged a powerful storm against the man. One night... When his parents were deep in sleep, Sandy rose from his bed, dressed himself, tiptoed into the garage. There he stuffed into his back pocket a screwdriver, a wide paintbrush, and a stirring stick. Next, he crouched down and snaked a skinny arm between the middle rungs of an extension ladder as he clasped the handle of a nearly full gallon can of paint on the floor. Then... Very quietly, Sandy rose from his crouch, the ladder on his shoulder, the paint hanging from his hand, and began walking up the street. I imagine him silhouetted by moonlight, marching the block or so to the school. Don't hate me for this, but a decade later, while in seminary, I read a short story depicting Jesus carrying his cross to Golgotha, and there came to, into my mind the image of Sandy and the ladder and the paint. Our school sat atop a hill, one side of which declined a great distance into a valley. From classrooms on that side of the school, you could look out across the valley and see the old mines of Red Mountain, which were at least five or six miles away. Also on this side of the school, a new addition had been built and left with a facade of whitewashed concrete block. It was on that wall that Sandy painted under the cover of darkness, the biggest goot the world had ever seen, a goot for the ages, or, as one classmate gasped in admiration, the goot of God. 
And on that morning, after sunrise, from many kitchen windows of many houses that checkered the slope down into the valley, many mothers stood, mouths agape, eyes lifted upward toward Sandy's art. Phone calls were made to neighbors, to teachers, to principals, to the Board of Education, to the police. Frenzy ensued. When I arrived at the school, the custodian was on a ladder taping butcher paper over the goot. But Sandy's work was thick and many-coated, and so the custodian's efforts worked like onion skin on a stop sign. The goot was too mighty to obscure. By now, principal and teachers were frantically corralling students from the playground where we normally waited for the opening bell, and where the goot was clearly visible. They were moving us around to the opposite side of the school, where it was not. The principal was shouting, teachers were shrieking, and we eighth-grade boys were exchanging gleeful glances, barely able to contain our elation. One of our arrows had finally found the Achilles heel of the man. The man was in full panic, rattled more than we had ever seen him. Fleeting victory was ours. But of course, the man eventually prevailed. Sandy was found out. <laughs> it didn't take a detective to find him. He was the boy, after all, with the paint all over his hands and arms. He surrendered himself to the authorities, as Jesus did in Gethsemane, quietly, peacefully. Sandy's crucifixion was a long suspension out of school. By noon, workmen had arrived from the Board of Education and had painted over the goot. But I must confess that the episode still stands in my memory as a rather glorious moment. Through Sandy, we eighth-grade boys had finally, really stuck it to the man. Today, nearly 55 years later, as if to prove his wicked sense of humor, God has made me an eighth-grade teacher. In other words, God has made me the man. My school has a tradition in which teachers spend the first three days of the academic year reviewing rules and consequences for breaking them. As I lead my students through relentless slideshows and videos depicting proper and improper behavior, I see the boys, especially, exchanging furtive glances, eyes gleaming with mischief. And this always leads me to think of Sandy and the Goot of God. I'm reminded that despite my old, failing body, the eighth grade boy is still very much alive in me. Occasionally I'll catch some of the boys grinning devilishly at one another. And when I see this, that eighth grader still alive in me silently says, you go guys, stick it to the man, even if the man is me. Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for dropping by. Y'all come back now, you him? And in the meantime, be kind to one another, be excellent to one another, and don't forget to... Come on!